On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses The Last Domino Tour. lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this bonus episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory and friend of the Palaver Ken Fuller as we discuss two shows in Philadelphia for the last Domino Tour. Cheers. It's also Cheers. it's very fitting it's very fitting today that we're all sitting down, but for different reasons than what we discussed in the in the previous. That's right. Yes. Mm. That's the last comment I'm gonna make, by the way. <laughs> I'm committed to simply enjoying your experience. Okay, so we have two concert attendees, Joe and myself, Ken Gregory, and, and two ob- observers who were skeptical of the Genesis tour, somewhat, Paul Zotter and Ken uh, Fuller. It's not so um, much that I was skeptical. I just didn't really wanna wanna go. I didn't I had a wonderful experience back in 92. Okay. With I the I can't dance tour. Okay. And I didn't want to tarnish that that memory. See, and this is the difference between you and me, Paul, because you remember 92 and I don't. <laughs> so, I have nothing to tarnish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ken Fuller, what were your reservations? What prevented you from uh giving giving Genesis a a, a wad of cash to see this farewell tour? Yeah. Yeah, maybe the water of cash was, was one reason. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit like Paul, really. Uh, you know, I have some great memories uh, of, of previous shows, including the one that Paul just mentioned. And, you know, I'd seen a couple of bits, and I see Phil, you know, and I kind of feel very sorry for him, but I thought, I just don't want to see Genesis like that. So mm-hmm. I decided not to go. That's it. Okay. There's... Actually, I didn't think they would play things that I really wanted to hear and uh, you can tell me whether that whether I'm right or not fair enough you didn't didn't want to hear like misunderstanding and invisible touch not so much (laughs) (laughs) to be fair there is a lot of nostalgia in this show Mm. you're not getting the original tempos or the original keys of the songs you, 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 you're, you're getting late model recreations of the songs that are still conducive to audience sing-alongs and, and, mm. and general, you know, social well-being and joviality, but not, not, not the genesis that we were born yes. and raised on. And I have to say, based on the photos that you guys were posting and some of the YouTube videos I have seen visually, the show looked stunning. And it's interesting you bring that. Light show looks amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's interesting you bring that up, Paul, because in you know the last time we spoke with Ken, all of three minutes ago, when we were talking about either the musical box or the Keswick Theater actively discouraging recording of any nature, mm. the the official Genesis Instagram is posting in their story videos from people who have tagged them. There you go. So, you know, you've got a completely different approach to to the whole thing, which makes me feel good because one of the things that we have 
traditionally done in these bonus episodes about live shows is is mix in some of the actual audio, which I, I feel much more comfortable doing mm. this time. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. But it, and, and we'll get into the, the visuals of it all. I will say, you know, I'll, I'll give my own sort of experience with this. When pre-pandemic, when Genesis had announced that they were doing that very small set of dates in the Northeast, what, first part of 2020, I think it was mm-hmm. March, they did a couple shows actually in the UK, and then they were going to come over here. And this was right on the the tail end of Phil's solo tour, you know, where you, you know, you, you got to see sort of, and I hate to say it, but the effect of time on Phil Collins. And, and mm-hmm. it was difficult to watch. And, and when those shows were announced, much like you, Paul, I had no desire to participate in that. Mm-hmm. Pandemic happens, time goes by, and they announced this tour. And for whatever reason, when the announcement came out, I was I was in a mood and I said, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do this. And so there was a little interesting cuz Ken and I had talked about it and you know, Barkley wanted to go and there was a small mix up and so for the first show Ken wasn't able to buy tickets. I bought two tickets cuz I I originally bought them. I bought the two tickets as sort of an investment. Hmm. I figured you know, I would go with, with Ken and Barkley and I could sell these tickets and wouldn't that be great? And it turned out that Ken didn't get tickets, so I had these two tickets. And then when they announced the second show, I went in and bought three tickets for Ken, Barkley, and myself. Nice. And now suddenly I've got five tickets, two nights worth of shows. <laughs> and it's like, all right, I'm committed. And when they started their shows because again they were they were doing shows I think in the UK before they came over here Mm -hmm. and the very first and even the first North American shows and and Ken Fuller you were trying to send us clips and I was trying to insulate myself because I don't like to spoil myself before I go to a show but I had seen maybe 30 60 90 seconds of, of of clips and I was filled with trepidation I was like what the fuck have I just spent all this money on? Mm-hmm. You know, what is this going to be like? Because it's not, I mean, I had five tickets to two nights. I had, you know, I'm using time off from work. I've got an airline ticket. I got dog sitters. I mean, <laughs> this is an investment at this point. And, oh, my God. And the videos I'm seeing, I'm, I'm starting to break out into a sweat. I'm going, <laughs> oh. But then a couple weeks ago, you know, I, I sort of made the very conscious decision because I'm great at justifying things to myself. And I made the very conscious decision that I was going to enjoy this show for whatever it was. And if nothing else, the ability to see, you know, Mike and Tony performing probably this one last time was going to be worth it. And, and so I kind of shut down all the negative emotions and... And, and I went in and I told Ken this, Ken Gregory, when I when I arrived here, I said, I'm going to enjoy this regardless. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was on a mission. I'm good. Gonna, I'm going to have a good time. And and I don't know, Ken, if you want to tell the story, but let's just say the first the first three songs on Thursday night did nothing to allay any of the fears that I had. And then something miraculous happened and real Phil showed up. And from that point on, 
it became honestly a very wonderful and enjoyable experience and I have absolutely no regrets of anything that I did, any money I spent, any lengths I went to. And if nothing else, you know, the one thing that this has really demonstrated to me, because, you know, and, and whatever, it, it is, it does take some effort for me to do this. Hmm. I really genuinely missed and enjoy coming to Philadelphia and seeing concerts with you guys. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is fun. Mm-hmm. I missed this. So bravo. All right. Mm-hmm. And this is what we do. This is what started the whole palaver, uh, even before there was a palaver. And we're carrying on with the tradition here. Um, I had no intention of going to two nights in a row. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I, I, I learned a lot from doing so. Uh, and it, it's just incredible how influential Genesis was on me at the time um, with, with, with the original Domino Tour. I believe I saw it first in the Philadelphia Spectrum and then in Veterans Stadium when they came back around. And just 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 the music and, and, and finding Genesis that way and, and having classmates in high school, you know, say, Oh, there's there's more Genesis on that. You gotta you gotta get the, the good stuff. That that was the real Yeah. Yeah. The, the real eye opener. Um and, and and I I'm you know, having having done this, I I'm glad I did. Um uh, I, I, I will start with just the enormity of, of physical, the physical presentation. I, I counted close to something above 200 individual lights. And, and just between the, uh, the panel video presentation in the back and, and all the subtleties in the lights, I, I, I was entertained incredibly. I mean, Genesis has always tried to do this through the ages, and uh, they did not disappoint. When we needed to see just Phil and be focused on him, they were very adept at that. And uh, just, you know, Tony in his little zone and and catching Mike as he roamed the stage. Uh, And Mike was the only one who got to walk around. He was the only (laughs) one who got to walk around. I mean, oh my God, the entire program was scripted. The banter was scripted. We saw the same relative banter. Yep. Uh, two nights in a row. Now, 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 Phil was a stage actor. You know, if, even prior to the bands that he was in, prior to to Genesis, he 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 got his first breaks in in, in the theater, and uh, in keeping with his own traditions, it's a tight ship. It's the same set list two nights in a row, uh, or you know, however many ten, twelve American cities, and he's he's. Bam, he's on it. And occasionally, despite those three songs where Phil was a bit distant from the audience, there were moments where, where he just seemed very intelligent. Like, like, like the timing. You could tell even though he wasn't able to play drums, he was just playing a tiny bit of tambourine. Yeah. You could see that glint in his eye where he knew exactly where everything was starting, everything was ending. Yep. And he was always the curator of that stuff. He was always keeping, you know, the endings correct and, and, yeah. and, and the set lists edited. And in, in his solo career, he, he was essentially the, the editor for, uh, you know, 15, 16 musicians, whatever he was traveling. And, and he was listening with adept ears to all of that. And you could still see, despite his age, 
despite his physical restrictions, you know, he was still trying to conduct the band. And that was fantastic just to, to see him uh, emerge. And it was nice to see him sort of engaged in that way. He wasn't a, a passive passenger. He was he was participating in all of this to the extent that he could. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that, you know, that had a lot to do with it because, you know, yeah, I mean, by the time it was done, it was just Phil. I mean, you wish you could see him drum, but it was still Phil, mm-hmm. very much. Some of the clips I've seen, he seems to be extremely proud of his son, Nick. Oh, God, yes. Uh, I've seen him <laughs> sitting on the, the video of the, on the stool, watching back at Nick drumming, uh, who seems to be really, really good. I mean, you, you know, do you right. agree? Right, um, well, we are fans of both of the sons. Simon Collins, obviously, is an incredible drummer and uh, a vocalist. Uh, but but this is the age of, of the baby. This is the age of Nick. And uh, Nick was the one who, who dedicated himself to making this happen. He had to prove himself to Mike and Tony yeah. two, three years ago mm-hmm. uh, doing solo work with his dad. And once they realized that Nick could, in fact, do this, that inspired this this whole tour. And, and we, you know, Ken, Ken Gregory and I had a, a bit of conversation about Nick the, the night after the first show. I I personally find Nick's playing to be absolutely delightful, but there there are some sonic qualities of the way the drums are presented through the board, which are maybe less than desirable. And I don't know if we can attribute those to Nick or not, but the fact of the matter is, um, like I said, I think his playing is is really really solid, and you know he he has. I mean, he looks like a young Phil Collins. It's like you... I, I don't know if anyone watches Foundation with the uh, with the genetic um, dynasty. Yep, yep. Yeah, so the, the whole idea is, you know, all of the emperors are are clones of the original emperor. Oh. And there are three of them at any one time. You've got a young one, a middle-aged one, and an old one. <laughs> and so it's like you just decanted off another Phil and threw him behind the wow. kid. Um, and it, it just he has some of that that charm that Phil has and you can tell I mean this this is a great gig for him and and he is he's loving it he's enjoying the music um, it's just it's unfortunate that you know he suffers from boomy kick drum hmm. oh yeah let's lay into that's, it that's funny you should say that I was going to say I thought the clips I've seen that drumming was a bit heavy is what I how I would describe it mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if that's a good yeah, does that it, make sense? It, yes, it it does, and it it's not that. And, and Ken, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not that the playing is wrong. I think the drums and the drum sounds are wrong. Yeah, let's go into this. Um, I, I'm reading uh, my notes taken during the show. Kick and tom samples tuned very low. Hmm. Kick in acoustic kit, quote unquote acoustic kit, because they had a three song acoustic set was just as low and seemed very out of place. So at, at, at the one opportunity in the set list where they could have dialed back on the drums, they in fact did not. So uh, can I ask a quick question? Because there's this, the, clearly the keys of the songs are significantly lower. 
So did they tune the drums to the to these keys? Ah, uh, yes, Grasshopper. It's okay. okay. It wasn't. So you're not saying when you're saying the tune of it, you're not talking about low frequencies just booming through the PA. You're talking about yes, literally yes. the drums were like tuned a fifth lower than they should have been. Yeah. Okay. You know, on my phone, I I captured a little bit of most every tune just for my benefit, so I could go back and and figure out the the, the exact keys. But suffice to say, many of these are lowered a third, a fourth. And, and, and this was probably quite fun and academic for, for, for Tony and Phil and, you know, particularly the de facto musical director, Daryl Sturmer, where they learned the Genesis pop songs in different keys. Of course, if they were doing an instrumental passage like Firth of Fifth, that was literally taken in the original key from the album and performed as such. Hmm. But in the case of anything where Phil had to sing in the stratosphere of his register, that was lowered. Now, when you do that, you run into sonic limitations. Um, but you don't think they were just transposing the keyboard down a fourth for the song? That's and always an option. You know what I mean? And, and Paul, you are the master of the baritone guitar. So, so and when you take guitars out to your acoustic gigs, mm -hmm. you take a baritone guitar and that allows you to play any song on guitar, but suddenly have it a fourth lower. And it's yeah. much easier to sing all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not that you transpose a lot sadly, of songs. Sadly, but. I don't do, I do that. I just use it for lower, lower frequencies. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but, it, but it gives your acoustic set a very ballsy sound. So, so musicians have the option to relearn the songs, as I believe they did. Or, uh, especially in the case of Tony, you can press a few buttons and just do a transposition. But but based on my rough ability to see the Fanavision video screens and Tony's fingers and and and, and Daryl's frets and, and Mike's frets, I believe they just relearned the pieces, um, and and that 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 opens up uh, two big issues that I found. Um, I prefer a tight kick drum in most music yep. and most prog because it tends to be busy. And if it's too loose and boomy, you lose the definition of the music. And and just in this day and age, I, I think uh, if you listen to newer drummers, Gavin Harrison is a perfect example. His sounds are punchy mm -hmm. and tight, and and his his niche in the King Crimson three drummer lineup is very tight and punchy, and you can hear everything he plays despite the the general chaos about him. Um, contrasting. Uh, the samples that that were triggered by Nick Collins' set were rather boomy and rather big. Now, now you could say that that is to capture the '80s sound, because everything was larger than life in the '80s. Neon shirts and boomy drum sounds. Zuropa. <laughs> wow. We're so going with Zuropa. All right. <laughs> but but um. The, 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 you know, and in, in, in many pop songs starting in that era, the, the, the kick was tuned uniquely for each song because it was kind of in tune with the yeah. song. But then once you start transposing a song to make it easier for Phil to sing in a lower key, then do you tune down all your drum samples? It, it almost sounded like in a couple cases they kind of did a little bit of that. Or, um, mm. you know... These instruments, the five string bass 
and, and the Moog pedals that, that Mike loves to, to, to use in, in, in some of the tunes. Um, suddenly you're hearing these low frequencies that were never in the original recordings. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not really great for the arena environment. And it's not really great for the particular PA that they had, in my estimation. It, it did a reasonable job. But it was not... Yeah, the PA got a little farty sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. And it wasn't it wasn't quite as dramatic Friday night as it was Thursday night. Thursday night was, was kind of rough in that regard. You guys were in different locations, right? We were in different locations. So Thursday night we were on the floor, second section back from the stage, what, nine rows into that. Mm, so nice. we, we were pretty close. Um, but we were, we were right in the thick of it. Friday night, we were maybe back a few rows, but up on the, the side in the first bowl, okay. if you will. Yeah. So those were actually really good seats, I thought, from a sonic perspective, as well as being able to sort of get the measure of the show mm-hmm. um, visually. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. When we were on the floor, we were straining our necks, didn't yep. necessarily catch everything we wanted and, and the audio was a bit boomy on the floor. Once once we got up, you know, the seats aren't as good, aren't ex- expensive or desirable, but we did get a more inclusive version of the show. We very much did. And, and there were a couple of things where that showed up, and, and I think we have to go back and maybe talk about the swag before we we get there. So when I when I bought the first set of tickets, uh, I was I was feeling really crazy that day. And so I bought the, the VIP. Now I bought the, the, the cheapest VIP <laughs> said I could, which was the VIP four tier, which included this lovely bougie boomer wine tote faux leather glass domino thing. It's yeah. it's really quite something. It came with a a cool little lanyard um and VIP pass type thing, which meant nothing, but it was there. It has Did a, it have VIP level four on it? it no, <laughs> I don't I don't think it did. It's, it's over there. It had um it had a poster it had a commemorative ticket that was laminated Ooh. and a killer refrigerator magnet. So wow. <laughs> no idea what the VIP level three, two, and one got, but that's oh. what we got at VIP level four. Manufacturing value, eight dollars and three cents. That's right. <laughs> but but one of the things Oh yeah. But one of one of the things that I really that I really enjoyed being up above. There were there were a couple of, of instances where not only did they have the lighting rig over the stage, but they had a lighting rig that extended around the entire arena with, I don't know how many of you kept track, but they had these super intense LED um, mm-hmm. sets all the way around, and they would use them to light the audience in different colors. So... Before they do Home by the Sea, for instance, when Phil is doing his little shtick there.
the whole audience is bathed in this spooky green light. Oh, nice. Um, at the end of the show, when they're finishing up with the carpet crawlers, they had the entire... And, and at that point, the audience has taken over the vocals. Yeah. And, and they have the whole audience bathed in this beautiful sort of soft purple. And being able to, to visualize the entire arena... You know, and with and, and it's cool, right? We used to have the the lighters. Yeah. The 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 LED flashlight on your phone looks even better, in my opinion, <laughs> in, in, in all of that. And and so being able to be up above that and see all of that that we couldn't really experience on the floor was very very cool, cool. to me. Well, I just want to say we were encased in purple lighting because it was a primarily female audience, much unlike the Keswick Theater for the musical box. <laughs> it was a very female audience. That's right. Oh, wow. wow. It, it was a very well-balanced... Tribute bands do tend to get a very heavily older male audience. <laughs> absolutely, you're absolutely right. Hankering for their younger days. Yes, and, and so I debated it if, if, if the audience was primarily Duke era, Abacab era, or uh, Mama era gen Genesis. So we have to give a shout out to one of our listeners who is, is friends with Barkley and a longtime Genesis fan. Oh, Lori H. Wonderful. Lori yeah. H. She, she, it was great. She was actually sitting on the section on the other side of the arena from us somehow managed her way through the floor and back up the other side to come see us. She, like, squeezed through two barriers and whatever. She's wow. like, oh, yeah. Not quite sure. But she shows up at the, the Genesis The Last Domino Tour wearing, purportedly, an original-era Abacab concert shirt. Yes, wow. yes, so, yes, kudos. So she's been a Genesis fan for 40 years, and she's managed to keep a t-shirt alive and mm -hmm. in really good condition wow. for 40 years. So it was really nice to meet her and that was sort of a fun little adventure before the show even began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was it was a good crowd. We enjoyed the people. Um, you know, mainly the the boomers and the Gen X, not, nothing not, nothing crazy. There was a drunk guy who almost knocked over five or six seats the first night. Yeah. Oof. Along with the mask lady, but other than that, we had we had a really you know I, it was it was generally speaking a very nice enjoyable experience. There was there was one couple last night on Friday night, um, uh, and this woman was was a very energetic fan and felt the need like at some point everyone started to sort of sit down, and this woman felt the need to get up and dance, and there was some discussion between. Her and the gentleman she was with, and the two people behind them, at some point, and it it looked a little bit, you know, antagonistic. But that that was the only sort of thing that uh, that sort of happened. It was it was a great it was in in and again I don't know if it's because we were on the floor and insulated, but the the crowd Friday night seemed to be a lot more engaged and and energetic. Than the crowd on Thursday, and so there's the crowd. Crowd on Thursday was stoned. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that one guy probably baked all of us. But it was it was funny. So at one point, when before Domino, when Phil does the you know something happens to these people over here and affects these people over here thing, mm -hmm. the other side of the arena from us was phenomenal. Like they kicked our side's ass every time. It was. 
demonstrably better. Oh, yeah. It sounded like a Flyers game. I mean, that is, <laughs> this is the Flyers arena. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that one. So it sounds like uh, it was the same shtick as uh, for the songs Home by the Sea and Domino that they've done prior. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and exactly. It, it, was, it was Phil's greatest hits in terms of, you know, intermediate things. And... And like the first night, so let's let's talk about the first night and, and my experience. Because, you know, they, they come out and they open up with Behind the Lines and runs into Duke's End. disappointed me because mm-hmm. I love you know behind the lines I think it's great and then they go into turn it on again which is okay great and then they go into mama and from mama is is land of confusion so those first three three tunes behind the lines and Duke's end turn it on again and mama Phil just wasn't on Thursday night Phil wasn't he wasn't in the arena like he wasn't even looking at the audience he's kind of looking backwards over his right shoulder to where no one is and it, it just he didn't sound good and i was just like oh my god just what mm. what is happening here and then yeah the electrolytes hadn't kicked in yeah so so steroids you name it and so means barbiturates <laughs> oh and so was it now and actually it was the first four songs because land of confusion wasn't really much better it was in the shtick between before home by the sea where you know he's doing the audience participation and we have to reach the other side ooh, and all that business and and in the middle of that literally he kind of stops and, and he grabs his head and he's like you know oh sorry i had a moment there and it was like the transmission fell into place at that point and from that moment onward phil was there and it oh, was just it was like great. yeah i don't know like it's you know ken jokes the electrolytes kicked in whatever it was he literally stopped in his little monologue, had a moment, and everything was was much better after that. And and I thought, I don't know your opinion, Ken, but I thought Friday night he seemed pretty much on board from the beginning. So yes, he was on point. So I was I was pretty pleased by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that beginning was on Thursday night was quite honestly terrifying. And and I will I have to I have to bag on Mike now. I love Mike Rutherford. I'm irrationally fascinated with Mike Rutherford because I feel in certain regards he's my musical spiritual animal. Um, but it, it it always strikes me as odd that when Mike Rutherford starts a Genesis set on the bass, which I guess in some regards makes sense, but he has four guitars in the first three songs. Mm-hmm. He's a rock star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't need four guitars. And, and like when uh, when he switches guitars, it's like he switches from one Stratocaster to the other Stratocaster. It's like, okay, Mike, great. Nonsense. It might be. It might be tuned down. It might. Uh, it might very well be tuned down. Oh, uh, wonderful! Just, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, I, I just remember from when you guys were were performing. It was, you know, there's there's sort of in it. There are different approaches to this, right? There's there's an efficiency of of performance, and then there's oh. 
every song, let's make the drum, the guitar tech run out and switch my guitar for me. Mm. And it just, Mike Rutherford seems very indulgent in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say more power to him. You know, if you're, if you're, if you have that history of music, you know, if Steve Howe, Mike Rutherford, when Alex Lice in the last couple of Rush tours, I was like, change that damn guitar every song. Yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. you've earned it. You've earned it. <laughs> so non non sequitur here, but 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 Rutherford was uh, in a in a magazine for grabbing a cheap Fender during COVID. I think he was in Florida or somewhere and could not travel. Went to whatever whatever music store had limited hours and purchased a cheap guitar. And ended up loving it and using it for this tour. And, and the headline of the article was, oh, you don't need expensive guitars. Look at this. But if you read through all the details, his tech had invested like 16 hours of expensive labor and parts into this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know which one of the Fenders it was? Yeah, so it was still a $4,000 guitar, but it was, it was a Strat. Uh, yeah, was, which Strat? Was it, it was, was a it... Mexican Strat. Yeah, but that's... but was it was it the red one with the maple neck? Was it oh, the silver oh. one with the maple neck, or the silver one with mahogany neck? I, I remember it being bluish. Okay, we have the bluish. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So but basically, the body was the same, but the rest of it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did love the the instruments. Um, uh, uh, Daryl Sturmer had that Godan that he used for yeah Firth of Fifth. That mm -hmm. was just. That red body, red head stack with a black rosewood fretboard. And yep. he looked like a real badass every time he pulled that thing up. He, yeah. Daryl Sturmer is kind of a badass. It, it was unfortunate. We had we had the discussion on Thursday night, either where we were sitting or the mix, that solo section in Firth of Fifth, we couldn't really hear Daryl. All we heard was Tony, which could have been by design. Hmm. Uh, but Friday night, again, either being up off the floor or someone fixed the mix, you could hear Daryl in that section, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was very, very enjoyable. I find Daryl looks a little uncomfortable when he's playing bass. Like, I don't know, either he gets the shitty bass lines or he just doesn't really care for it. I mean, you know, Daryl's Daryl's a team player, like everyone else. That Daryl's wonderful. All the interviews are out. All the information's yeah. out. He he got the gig originally because he was the only one who knew the material, and <laughs> and he just just blew away Mike, and then Mike sold him to the band, and he he blew away the band, and he got along with Phil, and he is the musical director. And Joe, as you said, even to this day, Mike and Tony admit. Daryl remembers the chords and arrangements better than anyone else in that room. <laughs> this, this this was possible because of Daryl Sturmer. It's in the program. So, yeah, it's in the program. We will we will quote. I will quote from the program that was provided also as part of the swag on night one. After two weeks, it became apparent that this version of Genesis, this new youth-injected version of Genesis, did have a future. That it was worth them taking this reunion seriously. Quote. We always joke that Daryl is the one who knows it all, end quote, Tony says. There you go. Mm -hmm. He knows mm -hmm. it all. As I picked this up and started to read this, because you know I like to do my, my dramatic voice yeah. on, on hyperbole. So there's a passage in here that I need to find and, uh, and do it. Okay. <clears throat> Some things will be different. 
Phil won't be going behind the drum kit, no drum duet this time around, and he'll spend the show seated. Quote, I've had this conversation with Mike and Tony. Well practiced, boy, but it isn't like that. If I thought I still had it, I would be practicing. End quote. And his son Nick will take his place behind the kit. Quote, he sounds like Phil did 30 years ago, end quote, Tony says. But much will be the same. Daryl Sturmer will be back. The three principles are present and correct. And the songs, the core of it all, remain resplendent. Resplendent. <laughs> <laughs> resplendent music. Whew. It's tough to get a non-palaver word or a word that wasn't already debuted on the palaver. <laughs> I have never I used resplendent. <laughs> So I, I read that and I just kind of laughed. I'm like, wow, that's resplendent. Mm. I, I've been thinking about this. And, and, you know, on these bonus episodes, we can kind of take any sort of sidebar that we want. Not that we don't always. Anyway, right. I'm fascinated by the Daryl Sturmer connection because, and, and we joked, there's a, a video montage and throwing it all away, which seems interesting. And the one person who is not featured in that in any way, shape, or form is the unfortunate Ray Wilson. Hmm. And so now this this was a very dramatic video. Very dramatic. The collection had uh, uh, VHS labels and or cassette, cassette labels both, from from the era. So so the way these images would would pop up on the screen or slide in was as if you were organizing your tape collection. And then and then in between each one of these VHS tapes or each one of these cassette tapes, you would see these little snippets of classic photographs. Or videos of, of the or band. whatever, yeah. Right, so that very early on, they admitted to Pete's influence by, by showing iconic images of Pete. Likewise, Steve Hackett them, themselves as, as the core bunch uh, a couple of Daryl, you know, went and, through and, and... And Chester was there. Which, yes, You yes. know, because there... That's a there, big deal. There apparently was this falling out between Chester and Phil, right? I don't know what all that's about, but but no mention of Ray Wilson, which leads me to the tour that never happened, right? No mm-hmm. one talks about calling all stations. No one talks about the tour where they did not have Daryl or Chester... Right. Mm-hmm. They had they had two new people on for that tour, and like we just don't talk about it. And obviously, Daryl and Phil are you know tied at the hip because Daryl works for Phil all the time. Yeah. Right. So I, you yep. know I'm I can't help but think that when Phil left the band, Mike and Tony sort of lost Daryl in the divorce. Right. 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 And now that Phil's back, oh well, if we get Phil, we and, and it's interesting, right? Because Ken and I were having this conversation as well. Genesis couldn't tour the U.S. for calling all stations because they couldn't sell the tickets. Right. Because Phil Collins wasn't there. By all accounts, as wonderful as it is to see Phil and to see the three of them together, there are technical challenges, as we've already discussed, around the way the music is presented. There are, and it was demonstrated by the the delicately used backing vocalists, you could very easily get someone else to sing this music in its original key with its original intensity at this point. But the audience doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. They want Phil in a chair. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. they want. Yes. Okay? Yes. Yeah. 
So and Larry Maggot knows that more than anyone. And Larry Maggot knows that more than anybody. So so fantastic, right? We have this is this is what we want. But in order to bring Phil into the into the fold, right? You have to have Daryl, which everyone likes Daryl, that's fine, but now you have to have Nick as well. So in order to get the key piece on board, you know, 40% of your band is already defined. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Which oh, is, yeah. I just, I find, I, I, and, you know, again, the three of the, Tony, uh, Mike, and, and, and Phil are by all accounts friends and always have been friendly. So I don't think there's any sort of leveraging or animosity, although... Again, if you look at the the video, the behind the scenes documentary of the 2007 tour, Phil's a bit of a handful, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I don't think it's it's leveraging necessarily. But I would love to know, you know, what that dynamic is like. And, and again, not that it was it was bad, but it was just it was interesting that you know uh, nothing against Nick, but and and Chester was acknowledged, but Ray Wilson. Just doesn't exist. They brushed him out, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I made the joke last night that you know, for for having been on one album and and essentially half a tour, Ray Wilson is cashing in an awful lot on his Genesis oh, heritage. Yeah. Yes. So you know, he's not doing so bad. No, that's true. He plays Genesis songs in his concerts, and it's it's unavoidable, and that's where his fan base is. Yep. Hey, if you can, if you can claim it, um, those backing vocalists. It was um, Dan Pierce from London on percussion and vocals, and if I remember correctly, Patrick Smith from Ireland on vocals. That's Smith with a Y. Ah, Smith oh. with a Y, and it, it was just the right dose of stage skills, presentation, and vocal ability. It, it seemed it, it seemed like they. They really found their, their roles to, to supplement Phil without stealing any of the spotlight. Yeah, it, it was it was very delicately performed. I thought Indeed. there was there was a couple of instances um, Friday night. I forget what songs, but there were basically what they would they would do in in the chorus part if there was like some some sort of super duper punchy part. They would sort of sing that, and Phil would kind of sit in underneath and kind of quit whenever he felt like it. But like, you know, cause they're just the backing vocalist. So they, they're sort of like metronome stuck to everything else. And Phil's kind of like floating all around them and maybe not anywhere close to where they are, but they've got to stay where they are, hmm. which was kind of funny. One of the things I wanted to talk about, and this was the question I wanted to ask you, Ken. So we noticed on Thursday before the show, as I'm flipping through this, there is an Anthony Drennan who is credited as guitars and bass. Now, there's never a sixth musician on stage. How, however, there are at least two and maybe up to four instances where there's no bass on the stage. Both Mike and Daryl are playing guitars. Really? Do you think that mm. this individual is you know, some sort of guitar tech backstage just plugged in when necessary? I, I was glued to wasn't that. Drennan, wasn't Drennan the guitarist with the uh, Ray Wilson version? Really? Mm. I don't know. very familiar. Mm. Well, okay. that would be an interesting wrinkle given the, ty- the, uh, the 
diversion I just took. That's why he's not seen. <laughs> we can't talk about him. We like him, but we can't talk about him. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I, I was glued to the idea, found no evidence even as I tried to parse it out. I mean, it's, it's a very thick presentation. And, you know, yes, Mike... He was. He was. He played with Mike and the Mechanics since 2010. He was in Genesis 97 to 98. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Excellent. If that was the guy who was on that Poland show, he was pretty kicking. Hmm. Okay. So there was no base for Turn It On. I forget what the other ones were. And for Turn It On, I don't know that there was a base, but one of one of the the later um, one of the later numbers, and I forget which one it was, but I I thought I could very clearly hear a bass line, and there was no bass anywhere close to the stage. So that's why I thought it was interesting. Another, uh, and, and again, let's make it clear. I loved this show. I enjoyed it, thought it was great. We already talked about the stage show and the visuals. While it was very choreographed, it was very fantastic and very dramatic. But given all that, there were a couple of things that just really kind of struck me. Like they have the lamest entrance that I've ever seen in my life. And again, maybe I think too much about Yes, right? Because Yes always has the Firebird suite going and, and the band will sort of come on, you know, while the lights are flashing and he, oh, wait, look, there's Jeff. Oh, there's, Steve, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the intro music stops and bam, you know, lights come up and everyone's playing. And and they had that, right? The house lights go down and they get the, the sort of lights going around the stage and, and they had some music. I think it was... I want to say it was the music that featured prominently in American Beauty, but I don't know that for wow. a fact. And, and they're they're building all this anticipation, and the music stops, and then the band kind of wanders on stage, and you're like, uh, "Okay, you know, you guys couldn't have done this wow. thirty seconds ago, and just wow. bam, hit the show." I what think was, they just wanted. Was Phil the first one on? Because I noticed in one of the videos that I watched that he was, you know, sort of holding them up. This going he's up got the a steps, cane. And, yeah, he's got a cane, but he, and, he seemed to do well. But okay, but they just waited till the music yeah, was over. Yeah, just I, it, it doesn't really impact anything. It's just at this stage, maybe they, they were career, stuck in the the verification of their COVID status, their vaccination status, <laughs> maybe at the Wells Fargo Center. <laughs> All right, let's contrast this with with the Domino tour that we saw originally. I didn't where, see what you saw where where Mama the beat is just resonating in that theater for a yeah. couple minutes. And then all you see are flashlights. Oh, God, that was so cool. It was very cool. Very, yeah. oh. very rock star-ish and built a great anticipation. <laughs> huh. And did, did they just start? Like the video that I saw, it was just four stick clicks from Nick, and boom, they yeah. went right into it. Well, so. They had a... They had a uh, percussive electronic drum intro that I didn't recognize. That was kind of duchess esque um yeah they, i guess well i mean they, they did have that intro piece hmm. but it wasn't nearly as intense as mama and, and, and it, again it, it's completely faded it out yeah yeah and, and so let's talk about the good things no live fade outs in this show no live fade outs thumbs big up. thumbs up and no wank sections ah no drum solos no individuals on the stage just jerking off 
it was, you know, if there was a solo section like Daryl Sturmer got to... Was that a yes reference? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Daryl Sturmer got to go off, you know, during the Firth of Fifth and, Mm. and, you know, whatnot. But there there was no... They didn't waste any of my time. And I suppose no hushing of the audience members. Either. There was no hushing of the audience. <laughs> In fact, Phil, uh, you know, honestly, there wasn't a lot of talking. Like, Friday night, there was a group of, of women behind us. And, like, the one woman prior to the show had just the most annoying cackle of a laugh I've heard, you know, since Janice on Friends. And you know, even even they, there was no. Once the show started, everyone was nice. focused. Nice. You know, there wasn't there wasn't mm-hmm. anyone kind of monkeying around. So, at, at risk of getting into details, this is one of the things that I was curious because I I think I saw from the UK tour, uh, the, them doing fading lights, but fading lights <sighs> right at the best part with the keyboard instrumental. They cut to something else. I can't remember what it they was. They cut to cinema show. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And so it was jarring. Yes. Because I mean, you know, I love fading lights. Oh yes. And I love that instrumental version. Yes. Absolutely. And so as they're going through that intro, that the initial vocal part, right? It's it's all just a build up to the big payoff. Right. Right. And right when I'm like ready to let go, it's like, oh wait, uh uh-huh, wait, what's this? You know? And it was just, it, uh. you know, to to quote uh, the Emperor's New Groove, it threw me off my groove. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because I, I and the, the reason I was bringing that up is because not only is it just an amazing keyboard solo front front to back, the the rhythm section beneath it is is some of the best music I I think and I'm pretty sure I said this when we covered the album it it is it ranks up there with anything that was done you know by this band in any in any way shape or form yeah and and I, and I would have like to have gotten your thoughts on you know how nick and and the band performed that but i guess they didn't they they didn't okay it was uh, and nothing i mean i love the cinema show but yeah it just yeah, yeah. It, it's not what i was expecting there right like you're you're pavlovianly trained for a certain release and then just to to switch you're like what okay. yes yeah okay fair enough um this is Joe's last minute bitch list. Go for it. <laughs> All right. I'll just, I'll go down the, so we got the lame walk in, the no bass for turn it on. Mike has four guitars in the first three songs. Home by the Sea and second Home by the Sea. They fucking kick so much ass even to this day. Mm-hmm. I love those songs. Good. Absolutely love. I love the visuals. Like they had. Even in B minor. Even going. in B minor. Like they had. You know, on the on the back screen, they had this this sort of like spooky greenified house on a cliff, sort of you know, and you can see some of the pictures on the Instagram with Phil's face right next to it, and it was just oh, it was delightful, absolutely great, and it was interesting the way they interspersed these instrumental sections, and I don't know if that was because we need those instrumental sections or Phil needed a break. But whatever the case may be, they were in there. Absolutely love Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea. Um, this is this is a, a little bitch session. Mike looks silly strumming on the 12 string during cinema show. Because hmm. um, he's got this little bouncy thing and he's playing like... He's he's strumming right at the... He was no, he was right up right up on at the base of the fretboard. It just it looked silly. 
I didn't really care. I, I was singing Tony's vocal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Tony's keyboard line. The one of the greatest examples I think of the of the backing vocals were on Afterglow. I thought the way they were able to sort of supplement Phil and carry him through mm. some of those dramatic parts. And and Afterglow is long. It, it's long. It's surprisingly impactful. I think it's yeah. it's not necessarily something I always think about, but to see it performed live was was really mm. quite something. So we we talked about this a little bit. The first real instance where you get um, the audience participation. So Ken had mentioned the the three song sort of um, semi acoustic semi acoustic set. set. That's all. Lamb lies down on Broadway and follow you, follow me. Now the way they do the Lamb is very sort of dialed back. Um, but when when they get to the chorus section. Phil kind of turns it over to the audience for the on-Broadway part, and it's honestly delightful. I'm... You know, I'm I'm not usually one for gimmicks of that nature, but there was, I, this is going to sound hyperbolic, but it just felt so genuine when the audience would take that from him. It was beautiful, nice, nice. absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another thing that that um, that Genesis does. Right, we've talked before and about their visual show. In terms of light design, they've always been, you know, really on top of things. The light design overall on this is fantastic. But sometimes with their visuals, they'll just phone it in. And we had the discussion on the 2007 tour about the incongruous um, geometric shaped running man for um, in the cage, I think it was had nothing to do with anything. It was just something cool that some computer programmer gave them and said, oh, we can do this. Hmm. Um, Duchess, perfect example of this. Wow.
beginning of Duchess is phenomenal. And, and I think it's very strange to have them do the beginning of Behind the Lines and Duke's End at the beginning and come back and do Duchess two-thirds of the way through the set. But it starts in with that um, that drum pattern and the, and the piano bit. Yeah. And, and the visual at that point is very, very in, engaging to me. The, the screen is mostly black, and there are like little flits of color that are kind of coming in, almost like, you know, fireflies or sparks or something. Hmm. Very engaging, very cool. You can do something with that. And then it just kind of, when it gets into the song, it just devolves into this random pattern of ugly colored shapes. Huh. And it just, it it had, for me, it had absolutely no connection to the song, and I just found it highly distracting. That was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I like that stuff. I, I know. I saw you. <laughs> I saw you take a picture of it, and I'm like, "Oh, Ken likes this. I think it's garbage." Um, what about the toilet rolls? I've heard the, about the, the toilet, toilet rolls. Honestly, it, I I liked the toilet rolls. I had seen when I was flipping through the program before the the show. I had seen they've got a picture of the toilet rolls in there. And when Phil introduces Land of Confusion, you know, he says, this is a song that was written however many years ago about something else, but it's still oddly relevant today. So there's there's a shot, and I, honestly, you would know better than I would. In the beginning video, they show Trafalgar Square, and I don't know if the building that they show, like sort of close up, is is one of the buildings there. I I've been through Trafalgar Square, like you know, for probably a total of ten minutes of my life, and I don't remember. But they they show sort of a, and I've got a video of it, but the, I forget what exactly it is. But there's like a staircase. It's either a staircase into a building or there are buildings on either side. And like in the beginning, all of these TVs start rolling down and, and they, they're getting bigger and they're, they have the video of, the, of mm -hmm. the puppets from the original, which is kind of funny. And then they switch to a bunch of people with masks. And at some point, this, I'm assuming it's Trafalgar Square, gets inundated with toilet paper rolls, which, I mean, that's... That's like the whole face of, of COVID, right? right? The whole right. the mm -hmm. whole toilet yeah. paper nonsense. And you know, I I it worked very well. It, it, I thought it worked extremely well. It yeah. communicated exactly what Phil was talking about, what they were trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and you know, it, it sort of tied in. Again, that's not what Land of Confusion was written about, you know, back in, in right. the mid eighties. It's more Cold War era Reagan Thatcher bullshit. Exactly. Right? But it, yeah. it does still work. And, and we've had that conversation about other music as well. You know, there, there are lots of things that were written, you know, 20, 30 years ago that suddenly have, you know, relevance for different reasons. Yeah. And that's the end of Roger, my pitch. Roger session. Waters does that all the time. Yeah, let's mm -hmm. not talk about Roger Waters. Oh, he, re <laughs> he repurposes his imagery. Yes, he does repurpose his imagery. That's fine. Um, I, all that occurred to me d during your uh, list, Joe, was it, it just fascinates me that some of the best guitar work of the melodic nature in late model Genesis 
is the guitar solo, the clean, uber clean guitar solo in That's All. And instead of mm. Mike playing it, you know, he subcontracted that, that out to Sturmer. But, oh my gosh, e e even on a... I would call that semi-electroacoustic. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think I think both of them were playing these new Fender acoustics. It's like it's like a it's like a acoustic telly. It's, yeah, it's exactly. A, but they yeah. they seem to be much thinner than a normal acoustic. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen them a bunch recently. It was yeah. the ideal instrument for for that's all. And I uh, I'll say that Daryl had fantastic articulation on. All that, yeah. Oh, fan, fan. It was very, very, very nice to see that. Um, that's the area where I said the drum kit was unnecessarily boomy. They should have mm. toned back the drums to be more on par with 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 the guitars. And and I will say that, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Tony Banks, and I I I, I love that he's redone. His sounds and and you know I came multimedia was a part of yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Dave Kirsner. Yeah, yeah, and most of the sounds worked 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 pretty well in that acoustic section because I was worried because you if you yeah. say Tony Banks and you know a, acoustic breakdown I get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but he he had some reserved sounds that worked well. And you know one of the things. And again, this is just probably my fixation on on stupid shit. I remember when we talked about that Genesis album. You know, I had I had made reference to the the drum line for that's all being dis sounding deceptively simple and being able to see Nick without any drums around him kind of illustrated that to me. Like mm. I couldn't have done that if you paid me eighty five million dollars. There, there's no wow. fucking way. Wow. And, you know, for a drummer, it's probably nothing big. But to me, I was like, you know, good for you, Nick. Nice. I mean, Nick proved himself up to every challenge, hmm. in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's curious to see what, what he will do if he chooses to go down to music right? path. I mean, he has resources. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Simon had access to Nick Davis and the, and the full arsenal of the farm and, and, and all of the resources of Genesis in that era. Uh, but people just want... Phil and Sound Contact was not immediately financially successful. So, other rabbit hole. Do we know if is is Simon left-handed or right-handed? Because Nick is right-handed, which means he couldn't steal his dad's drum kit. He had to have his own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, here's a, a question. If I'm sorry if I missed it, anything from Abacab in the set list from either? Either night? No, I don't believe that there is anything. The women that. in front of us were, were joking about that. They really wanted an Abacab encore. Uh, that did not happen. Huh. Yeah. So if, if we want to run down the set list explosively. Sure. Yeah. So Behind the Lines and Duke's End, Turn It On Again, Mama, Land of Confusion, Home by the Sea, Second Home by the Sea, Fading Lights into Cinema Show, and then the acoustic mini set of That's All, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, and Follow You, Follow Me. Duchess, No Son of Mine, the solo section from Firth of Fifth. I Know What I Like, which was a huge hit with me. It's mm. not my favorite song, but this particular rendition, like, it would just get stuck in my head. For... Because Phil was in his element. He got to do a little bit of that improv that he's yeah. known for, mm -hmm. structured improv. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, vaguely bringing the, the, the audience participation on the lyrics. And the backing vocals were actually their most complex during some of that. Yeah. Because I heard like, three-part harmony, such a drone of a song, but it gave them such room to play with. And, and it, it really did it well. Um, from there, they went into Domino, which, you know, I mean, Domino's a, a another killer. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, 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 the visual show for Domino is phenomenal. So Thursday night, like, I knew going into it that the second section, the last Domino, the visuals were going to be great. So I had my, my camera, my video ready. Mm. And I'm so glad I did because I was able to capture it. You know, my crappy phone doesn't really do it justice but it was it's really something and so friday night i was able to just sit back and take it in mm. and it was absolutely phenomenal and For, should i i know phil was the exclusive vocalist on domino yeah the gentleman left the backstage yep. he held his own on this transposed mm. version of domino and he was great well and domino started out with just the four of them it was tony phil mike and well, actually, it was just the three of them. Nick came in, and then Daryl came in yep. for the, okay. the second part. So, you know, it was one of those moments where you got to see sort of the three of them, and, and yeah, it was really cool. From there, they went into throwing it all away, which was the the video, video montage, the, the, mon- okay, the yeah. nostalgia montage, which you know, it's I, I can see why they would. It, it seemed incongruous to me at first, but as I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. And again, it's one of those songs. I think we probably bashed the shit out of it when we covered that album. I don't know. I, I really like that song. It it works <laughs> phenomenally in the live setting. Yeah. And it really came off, I think, great. Yeah. And then they went into Tonight, 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 which again translates exceptionally well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that was one of the strongest Phil songs vocally. Yeah. Certainly, there was something about that he was able to kind of hmm. get into that pocket and go. And they finished up with Invisible Touch, which is interesting, um, you know, a way to end. And it's it's funny watching Mike Rutherford play, you know, Guitar God on Invisible Touch, but whatever. And then they came back. The encore was I Can't Dance. Very, very fun. Mm-hmm. And um, the audience participation in Invisible Touch and I Can't Dance was stellar. Stellar. Yeah, and, and it, you know, it was really great to see. And then they, they went into Moonlit Night, which was exceptionally unexpected. Seriously. It's like, really? Okay, that's weird. And from there, they, they finished out with Carpet Crawlers. I love carpet crawlers. I've never really been a big fan of the way Phil does carpet crawlers, but eh, 
eh, you know, it's carpet crawlers. Yeah. And, you know, much like the musical box can, it was it was kind of like a, a slow ending, which is okay. Right. right. And, and so Thursday night, they left the stage, and, and you're always waiting, right? You know, are they going to come back? And the house lights came up, and it was very sad. But the house lights, I think they... Either they came up later, they, there seemed to be some suggestion in the air on Friday night that they might maybe come back. I don't know if you felt that. I I, I was kind there of... Was a, there was a hesitation there before yeah. the house lights came on. Yeah. I, I was really kind of hoping, but they, they didn't. So, um, but yeah, it was... You know, so that that's it, and and I think Ken Gregory, you made the the point that, you know, the set the set list isn't breaking any new ground, it's not changing anyone's perception, it's not outright pandering. I think it's things that they felt that they could play. I mean, they haven't played together in fourteen years. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you know, given. Given what it is, given the fact that I've only ever seen Genesis once in 92, I missed them in 2007, um, you know, I couldn't ask for anything more. And and I thought it was, I have absolutely no regrets about seeing this show, and I thought it was spectacular. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. You can't ask for more, can you? Well, you have to, at least you can hope that you don't feel like you wasted all this time and money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have we won you over, either Paul or Ken Fuller? Well, you know, I, I, I'm really grateful that you guys uh, were willing to, you know, let me palaver with you, even though I, I staunchly refused, <laughs> <laughs> even even with some eleventh hour request like, <laughs> to not go. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I and I didn't really, I didn't really miss, you know, the idea of going to the show. I did, you know, miss you guys when I saw the the photos of you guys. I was like, oh man. There you um, go. But right. uh, yeah, I'm, I don't I don't regret not going. Um, but I'm really really glad, and I am like getting the you know visceral enjoyment out of uh, hearing everything that 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 you guys experienced. So I, I don't if they came around again, I probably wouldn't be buying a ticket. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really I'm really glad that the show was uh, was so uh, fulfilling. That's awesome. And, and maybe I'll put some video clips up on YouTube. Who knows? There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, I don't I force with Paul. Yeah, I uh, I'm glad you really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, listening to what the set this was and everything it, it hasn't changed my mind either. No, I'm uh, I'm, I'm happy with what I saw over the years, uh, and uh, it sounds like it was good fun. But uh, I don't regret it either. Okay, fair, 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 fair enough. Um, I'm 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 very happy to have uh, participated, and and this snafu that had me going two two nights in a row was was welcome. There you go. Yeah, thanks thanks for stepping <laughs> in, Ken. And, uh, because oh, wow. I had I had I had had, um, I had, had uh, another party who had agreed to go, and what two weeks before the show, when pressed for you mm-hmm. know time to make plans, it's like well I don't know. I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, I, I had this extra ticket, and, and you know, can I appreciate you being willing to you know take one for the team, if you will, and and you know it gave us something to sort of compare and contrast over two nights, which. You know, it 
it's not the most rational approach to, to living life, but I think, Paul, we demonstrated that with the three ARW shows and three nights. Mm. You know, there's something to be gained there. Yeah, for you sure. Know, certainly for what we do here on the podcast, I think there's some value. So, And it was, I had a great time. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It was an excuse for Barkley to wear an acid-washed jean jacket. I could ask for nothing more. You, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and Barkley showed up wearing, you know, one of the, the smart little caps that Phil used to wear. So she was, oh, she was nice. in, uh, in, in full character, which was nice. She did not wear it to the, to the concert, unfortunately. Right, but right, right. That's okay. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. So that's our that's our experience with the last Domino tour. Uh, Ken Fuller, Paul Zotter, I very much appreciate you gentlemen coming along for the discussion and you know lending your perspective. Ken Gregory, I appreciate you know the uh, excellent the the company at uh, at both shows and Barkley. Thank thank her for coming along as well. It was great to have her as a, as a, an added you know honorary member. Last night, it was it was really fun to sort of hear some of her stories <laughs> with regards to, you know, Genesis and, and how it's treated in her family. <laughs> and, and she really seemed to enjoy it, so that was great. So, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, we can, we can table this discussion until April of 2022 when the uh, Palaver has, has made a commitment to... To check out Genesis music in the form of Steve Hackett. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. Are you at the last time I know show? Um, are you going to go see Steve Hackett? Whatever your thoughts are, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>